Hey, Chris, I was thinking about something. Yeah. So I don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts. I think you know that. But Mm -hmm. do you think we could manage to do cold opens for our show? To do. Oh, I think we could definitely do some cold opens. Yeah. I just, I don't know how we would do them. I was listening to a show the other day. I was like, oh, that would be fun. Like they just kind of have their little skit that they do beforehand. I mean, you know, it's not, but it is. And uh-huh. I was like, man, what if we had our own version of like Chris and David and Ultraman? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you like sign up, you like show up wearing your nutty roll costume and you rap about the fact that our paychecks are coming late. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> you know, when the dean raps about the oh, fact no. the paychecks. Are- <laughs> What's the name of this podcast, Chris? Saved by the Belial. Welcome to this episode of Saved by the Belial, an atrocious Ultraman podcast, the show where we only had three minutes to talk about an episode of what, Chris? Ultraman. Yeah, Ultraman. Yes, so got it right. you already know who we are. And we're going to do some housekeeping. Oh, mom. I know. Hey, you know what? You got to smash the patriarchy somehow, right? Amen. All right. So. For some listener feedback, uh, I asked a question last episode about the construction. See, we're already off to a great start about the construction <laughs> sets. And mm-hmm. friend and listener of the podcast, Kiyoi Toshi, sent an email about that question. And she provided a lot of great information, but for the sake of brevity, something that we do not know about. Uh, here's an excerpt. <laughs> here's an excerpt from that email. So in the early days, being the 60s and 70s, Subaraya, being E.G. Subaraya, uh, used a lot of the contacts he made when working at Toho. So Toho, like most good-sized Japanese companies, uh, was part of a bigger diversified holding company. They would have movie studios, industry, farming conglomerates, and construction. So Toho would use these company bonds to set up location shoots at construction sites and other places, and Subaraya continued to use the contacts he had made to use construction sites for filming, as well as other sites. These would be set up in advance, not just showing up and filming. So what's interesting is that for the wide shots, he still preferred to use the tokusatsu miniatures, even when it involved heavy machinery that were present at the sites. So, now you know. That is pretty interesting. Well, it explains why the first episode of Ultra Q is like heavily, heavily takes place at a Mm. construction site outside of the cave. Oh yeah, oh, Gomez and Litra. Yeah. There's also this discussion of on-set on uh, photography reminds me of a great tweet that I saw today that I wish oh, I had no. credit for. Uh, it says, Toku has ruined me so bad. Every time I see a quarry, I expect violence. <laughs> um, so, 
I'm surprised I haven't I always make to that the, point yet. It, well, I always make the joke about the Sentai Quarry because there's mm-hmm. this one where all of the big fights are. So I just think that's funny. I have definitely but, noticed that about Zoo Ranger. I'm like, it's yeah, all exactly. A quarry. Yeah. Uh, just like just like Star Wars with McQuarrie in the background. Uh, so after that dead joke, should we read some reviews of people? Yeah, because funny? apparently people are listening and don't hate us. Yeah. So the first review comes from Crafty79. It says, these guys are hilarious. Citation needed. Uh, as a new fan... <laughs> As a new fan of the Ultraverse, I decided to learn as much as I could about the lore and the backstory. I saw a post on the Ultraman Reddit. Uh, is Ultraman Reddit one I haven't met yet? Because I don't remember him from Absolute Conspiracy. He's uh, Ultraman Reboot's uh, third cousin. Oh, got it. Okay. So he saw a post on Ultraman Reddit's personal page for this podcast, and he has enjoyed both episodes so far. The format with the alerter is great. And it's cool to get a different perspective on these episodes. Keep up the great work, and I'll be tuning in every other week while I commute to work. Hopefully, we can make that commute a little bit better. And yeah. Or at least we make you feel better about your life because you're not us. So that's a good thing. <laughs> just just by virtue of not being the host of the show. Exactly. Uh, you've got it pretty good. Uh, <laughs> uh, who said that? Uh so Nathan Marchin, an ultra surprise. I jumped in from David and Chris's previous podcast, The Kaiju Apostle, to this, but wasn't sure their format would work. And you are not alone on that one. Nope. And so it was an interesting gimmick, but sometimes things are better on paper than in execution. To my ultra surprise, thank you, it works. David and Chris provide some worthwhile discussions and insights while also being funny and entertaining. And this is coming from a podcaster who likes to do deep dives while also entertaining his audience. I look forward to hearing more as they continue their coverage of my favorite Toku superhero franchise. She watch out for these guys. I'm so, yeah. I, I love so much about that review that just kind of warmed my cold heart. I thought. And then say finally, GS Panda made their color timer never go out. David and Chris do a great job with this podcast. It's entertain, entertaining and legitimately interesting. Thank you. Uh, the three-minute review of each episode is a great gimmick slash setup. It is, in fact, fun, but also for- forces this dynamic duo to present what's actually important in their reviews. I also appreciated the quick theological conversation at the end of the first episode and can't wait to see what they pull from future episodes. You know, I... You're going to be just as surprised as we are some episodes. Oh, yeah. I had I had someone tell me today about last week's episode, or last episode, excuse me, that when you made the uh, Joker and Jesus comparison, <laughs> that he's like, I would have spit, I almost spit coffee out of my mouth, except I didn't have coffee in my mouth. <laughs> and he's like, this person was like, did you mean Superman? I was like, no, did you not see the picture of Jared Leto's Joker <laughs> Dressed up as Jesus, he's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. no, I did not. Oh, yeah. We live in a society, and Joker died to free us from that society. Mm-hmm. In the fullness of time, Joker came, born of an Arkham. <laughs> the, the withering look that I'm getting right now. Our viewers at home. Man. <laughs> the heights of that withering look. <laughs> that, 
Okay. So we really do appreciate the reviews, though. As we've discussed before, uh, especially being a new show, seeing those reviews helps people feel confident. Like, oh, I want to invest my time in another show because there are so many podcasts. Like I spent one day just going through like TV review podcasts and holy crap, like every comedian has a podcast, like (laughs) Mm -hmm. every news, like every TV station, they've got like 50 different podcasts. Like there's just so many podcasts out there. So many. So Mm -hmm. really do appreciate the fact that you are listening because you don't have to. And no, to reiterate, you do not have to. <laughs> we appreciate it. But like, you can run at any time. We <laughs> Blink won't if you're know. In <laughs> but on that note, uh, do you want to talk really quick about our uh, social media ordeal? Uh, social. It's not our social media ordeal. It's the social media ordeal. Yeah, the but, social dilemma, if you may. Oh, I will. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> Kind of something that, I, I mean, this these conversations definitely started before the pandemic, mm-hmm. but um, especially the pandemic heightening the ways that we can't see our friends, even the ones who live next door. We can't see, like, the people that we normally interact with at work. We've, I think we've all been relying a little extra heavily on social, on social media lately and kind of taking some of these, well, not, yeah, um, so taking these, like, friendships that we're forming on these and kind of like like we're really thankful for them but it, it kind of hides some of the insidious nature of social media platforms yep. so we've seen a lot of good redemptive work come out of twitter we've met a lot of friends we've made a lot of relationships no so so we we, we totally see the good in social media but i think we've both been like as we've been reading as we've been reading like uh, social media experts, I think they might want to be called. Just all of these, all of these discussions about what happened to us as people when we're too reliant on social media, that we're just not liking the way that that's looking. There's a lot of like insidious ways that Twitter drives, like uh, drives our emotions, and not not in a way that gets us like active, and not in a way that gets us wanting like real substantive changes but it kind of rouses us up so we click more so we retweet more so we tweet more and i think sometimes we fall under the trap that some we think that tweeting is changing structural problems so i know a lot of people and i think even i'm i'm tempted by this i'm not gonna put words in david's mouth but when stuff happens like with george floyd back in june a lot of us like thought a hashtag to show our support was us like doing something we thought it was us like affecting serious change in our own lives and lives of people around us and i think we're both kind of like realizing that there's a lot of performative action that happens on social media that doesn't form us as better people it doesn't form better relationships so we are we are stepping away from updating social media ton i think we'll have i mean we're not gonna be able to stay away forever but we'll be posting Mm. about um yeah. Well, we'll be posting about new episodes. I think yeah. We'll have ways for you for you to reach us outside of social media, but um like if you DM us with a prayer request, I'm sure we're going we're going to keep an eye out for that, but we'd really love to be forming intentional communities outside of people who want or even just platforms that want to drive our conversations in a certain way, in a certain way to drive clicks and profits. We 
we want to avoid those types of relationships and want to be ones where we're like actually talking, actually interacting. And I, we want to know you, not your social media perform. We don't want to know your like personality. Like for me, we want to know who Chris is. We don't need to know who at Chris worms is. Cause those are, we're threatened We're we want to make those different people at times. And that's not the type of life we want to live that we don't think that's the way of authentically being human. So that's, I mean, that's our sin. We're, we're both happy to talk about that a lot. I think uh, we, we have personally had a lot of those conversations and we'd love to, if people want to like talk about that, hear about that more. We've got articles on the site. David has a ton of like articles that he's Mm -hmm. read some great books. We'd both just say read Jamie Smith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and if you don't want to do that, uh, you can read. I'm reading a Reclaiming Conversation by Sherry Turkle right now. It's a really good book. Um, just really quick to add on to what you're saying. I mean, yeah, it's it's not just like the shallowness of Twitter, whether it's just, you know, this idea of like I share, therefore I am. Right. Mm. So this, you know, Twitter activism is really what it is. You share that you care about something and therefore you think you're doing something, which there there are times where that is the case. But more often mm-hmm. than not, it's not like, let's just be completely honest. And that's on every side of the spectrum. Right. This isn't a liberal or conservative issue, but it's not just that. It's the way that these sites mediate our reality where, mm-hmm. you know, they these algorithms and the targeted ads and all these things really dictate the way that we view the world. You know, I, it's been more often than not, you know, I, I see something that's really big and fiery and controversial on Twitter only for it to die down a couple days later. It's not really such a big deal. We come to find out that wasn't really the full story, but we got so enraged at the moment. And it's not just that, but the way that we use these sites to dehumanize others, like we're, we're so polarized and there's there's a lot of evidence to why that's the case. And I don't want to spend time necessarily getting into that. Um, but Chris is right. If you go to our website, uh, trashespod.com, there is a tab up there that says how we're handling social media. Uh, if you do want to be in touch with us, you can go to our contact page on there. You can email us at atrociouspod at protonmail.com. Or we are doing a little bit of social media uh, at least I'm kind of handling that right now on a website called thejump.com, which if you go to, um, which there's apps on iOS and Android for that. Uh, but we have a group on there. The way for easiest way for me to explain it, it's like Facebook groups, but without Facebook. So without the toxicity, which I don't even like using that word, but everyone kind of knows what I mean by that. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's no algorithms. There's no uh, data mining, no targeted ads, anything like that. So right now, it's just kind of me and a couple other people just chatting about the episodes, about Ultraman in general. So if that's something that you're interested in, great. If not, it's not a big deal. Uh, Don't want to take up more time than we have to on that. But that is something that, like Chris is saying, we've been talking about this for years. And it's just gone to the point where after an incident I had last year and getting my mental health back on track, um, which without, you know, posting about my mental health every five minutes on Twitter. Um, Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, I just, I don't want to be on, be, be on here anymore. It's not good. Um, yeah, if you're, if you're curious about kind of what led us to that, we'd be happy to chat. Uh, but we just kind of want to at least let everybody know why we're not, uh, posting on Twitter apart from these updates and Facebook and Instagram and all those Mm -hmm. other, the unholy Trinity as I've, uh, dubbed it. So, (laughs) Yeah. And and to be fair, some of that too is 
we don't want to necessarily begrudge anyone for using social media. Not at all. You look at my personal account and I'll tweet, I'll tweet nonsense all the time. It's just like, I don't want it to be, I don't want that to subsume my personality. I definitely don't want to live online. Yeah. You'll see that there's things I certainly have not commented on that if you asked me, I would totally talk about. So, Mm -hmm. but part of that too is if I told you go on Twitter for my thoughts about this, you're going to get hit with sponsored ads and what, like one of the things that I've just learned is sponsored ads work. Dang it. Like they'll know when I looked at something and now suddenly I need it. Yeah. So, so part of it is like, it's just our way of like keeping us out of the narrative of just buying stuff. And Mm -hmm. I know that seems so like quasi deep fight club esque, but it's honestly, I think that's part of it, at least on my end. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to log into Facebook and be bombarded with, you know, the Pokemon plush you looked at last night, you know, and thinking I need to buy that, even though I've already made a decision not to. So, so there's a lot of reasons we're happy to talk about them, but yeah. All right. Um, I mean, I'm kind of ready to go into the episode. If you are, I know we kind of thought about chatting about some stuff, but at this point I'm just kind of, I'm primed. I'm ready to go. Oh, I, uh, but I was curious. I was curious because the notes you want to talk about absolute conspiracy leading into Z. Yeah, I, it wasn't anything like significant. It was just interesting. Like, so I felt like they did a really good job. Because so let me rewind. Jasper and I have been watching Ultraman Orb lately, and I was like, you know what? They've been doing Z on YouTube. Why don't we just go back and watch it? And it's blows my mind the stuff that Jasper remembers, even though it's been almost a year since we've <laughs> seen this episode. And yeah, it was just, it was interesting because at the end of Absolute Conspiracy, you know, you see Zero flying off after uh, Zet and he had the Z riser, right? So just mm-hmm. like the small things like that, like this is where we see like, you know, Ginnegarg. It's just, it actually does transition really well. It's almost like that part leads directly into it and it flows really well. It's not like that moment of like, uh, how did it get from point A to point B? It's, it meshes really well. So it's, it's, I feel like what they're doing with Absolute Conspiracy is very big. Like, you know, you get a lot of these shows that have kind of the side story stuff and it's fun, but just that alone makes me feel like they're doing something very significant with Absolute Conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I spent the whole time in Absolute Conspiracy being absolutely lost. So... The first context clue that I had was when Z chases off to at the end of the series and it's like the prequel to episode one. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> where this is now. Well, I don't think anyone really knew that, though. That's the thing. Like you may there may have been hints, but like that was definitely like the oh, this is when this is all happening. OK, interesting. Because because for me, I don't like I if if most of the if a lot of the stories are that the ultras had to combine with the human host to like live. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, hey, we're all the humans. Where's where's any of the people I like? So when Z doesn't when Z stays a Z, I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. Because no one else turned to humans. So Yeah. But yeah, it's one of those things that like I I stepped into a raging stream <laughs> and I barely had my first drink of Ultraman. A raging jet stream of justice. Gosh, yeah, but yeah, I guess that's a good time to any just remind everyone that Z is getting re-uploaded. Mm-hmm. So if you missed it, it's up. Hopefully, the Blu-rays might start. At least the Japanese ones, I guess, are out. Yeah, maybe we'll get some soon. Yeah, I have a feeling that's going to be uh, 
couple years out, if I had to guess. So sad. I know. I know. There's, I mean, that's the thing is YouTube has given us so much. Like Z's going back up, the Heroes Odyssey's up. There's quite a bit you can do on YouTube. So it's free. That's beautiful. Cheap as free. <laughs> but yeah. Should we get into our current series? Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right. Well, so for this episode or for this episode of our show, we're doing 21 through 30. So first episode is episode 21, Breach the Wall of Smoke. The mysterious death of birds near the dormant Mount Omu may be a prelude to renewed volcanic activity. But when a picnic party reports seeing shining eyes through a sudden fog, the SSSP investigates. Fuji and Hoshino are almost overwhelmed by a noxious fog spewed by a giant monster living inside the crater of the volcano. Kemilar, the poison gas monster, smashes all in its path, villages, towns, and the military set against it. The SSSP is ineffectual against it. The monster downs Hayata's VTOL, allowing Ultraman to join the battle. Seemingly unstoppable, Kemilar's sheer strength begins to wear down Ultraman. Hey, Chris, guess what? What? The flashing Titac came back. <laughs> there, there was quite a bit in this episode that I was like, hey. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, when you text me that one night about the, you couldn't even commit suicide in that line. I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I have to be so missing this- something here. Yeah, there's that line at the beginning when they're looking in the crater. You couldn't even commit suicide in there. And I'm like, oh, this is a different culture's TV show. That's right. <laughs> especially especially as they were having a picnic when the monster was discovered. I know. So, yeah, this one got a little like kind of kind of weirdly deep really quick after a nice fun picnic. And then it turns into like, how does culture view young children and women? Mm hmm. Especially that, like, distrust towards kids. Like, yeah, I, I didn't talk about that last episode, but it, you do really see that trope in Ultraman of, like, the adults don't want to take the kids seriously. And then at the end of mm-hmm. the episode, you realize the kid's right. But mm-hmm. this time around, it's just kind of like, a, I love how Hoshino's like, man, you always treat me like a child when it's important. <laughs> you know, because, like, he figures out, like, yeah. hey, you should probably target its back. And that ends up being his weak spot. So Ide is like, hey, I'll buy you some candy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when he's sitting in the when he's sitting in the lab and the scientist is like just I don't know, pouring liquids or whatever. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, shoot the back. And the scientist is like, why did I get a PhD? You already know all this. <laughs> but, yeah. I And then at the end, when they were trying to protect her in the hospital, they're like, oh, say Hayata is like visiting a different like branch instead of telling her the truth yeah that was that was yeah it's it's hard sometimes to be like okay did you write that on purpose or is that like actually what you're trying to say you know and i think sometimes mm-hmm. that just takes the maturity being like i'm not 100 percent sure so i'm not gonna do a bad faith interpretation of this and just be like eh it's the 60s it doesn't mean it's right but like i'm not gonna cancel a show over a stupid mentality that is still present nowadays you know i don't know yeah and that's the thing is uh, as we bounce back and forth between the classic and modern shows Mm -hmm. 
we're going to be, even if the time, like the sensibilities of the time match ours a little more closely, it is still just an entirely different culture in general. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We're we're never going to be on a hundred percent on board with every part of it. Yeah. I I do love, I hate that I always had the last word. Uh, The ultra Q music came back with Kim Miller's appearance. Oh, funny. Yeah. Trying to be intentional about that, Chris. I want you to be heard. <laughs> well, we're charred skeletons now, according to a picture of us going around the internet. Yeah. So it's so exhausting to be like, okay, my skin grows back and then and it melts off and then grows back and melts Honestly, off. Honestly, how much food I have to eat between takes to get all this energy back? Yeah. Uh, we need to we need to get that in the show notes so people can see that. Oh, absolutely. Oh, crap. That's the wrong notes. Okay. I printed out my notes. How fun is oh, that? That's probably not a bad idea. So we actually just need to take a moment to remember Jessica Walter. I'm not being completely, like, I'm not being sarcastic. Like, this has probably been the only celebrity death in a very long time that actually made me sad. And if you're not familiar with that, she was a uh, gangy on Arrested Development, as she was most commonly known as, or Lucille Bluth. And she is a wonderful actress and she will be deeply missed. So it does. The the best part about her is you rewatch like Arrested Development scenes was um, just some of the some of the just the absolute insanity she was saying mm-hmm. was just the straightest, driest delivery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, of course, I'm saying this one, but even when she's like, go see a Star Wars, <laughs> <laughs> she knows it's a silly line, but yeah. she could just say it. So. So, or like the, what, it's one banana, Michael, what could it cost? $10. <laughs> she, she knows, I mean, I, she as a person has to know that's ridiculous, but she, the character doesn't, so she can play it. So, oh yeah. And she does so, so well with those lines that there's just, mm-hmm. I, I, that, that to me, it just speaks to how good of an actress she was. Like I think about like Michael Scott and Steve Carell, like it's the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. but I will, I will say, I can't say my favorite line cause it's not necessarily, uh, family friendly. It's not bad, oh but it's not family friendly. <laughs> um, I will share a really good line though. Let me pull it up here. Get me a vodka rocks. Mom, it's breakfast. And a piece of toast. <laughs> so I just, I just keep laughing. I don't care for Job. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's good stuff. I love all my children equally. I don't care for Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But Jessica, you oh, will be man. missed. So Episode 22, Overthrow the Surface. Uh Science Patrol agent Anne Morheim arrives from Paris HQ. Ooh la la on a special assignment to escort Hayata back to France. As they depart, an unnatural black rainbow appears over Tokyo, disrupting all communications. After an extensive search, the source is finally pinpointed inside of Science Patrol Tokyo HQ, a device planted by Agent Morheim, made of materials only found in the deep strata. The leaders of a subterranean civilization have plotted to conquer the surface and use Ultraman in their quest by hypnotizing Hayata. With their substitute Morheim revealed, they released their monster, Telesdon, upon Tokyo. The Subterrans order Hayata to join the siege, but Ultraman cannot be controlled. 
And here we start our series of episodes below the surface. Ooh. <laughs> I, I did appreciate as the reader of the Rise of Ultraman, I was like, Paris HQ. Hey, I know that one. <laughs> I've seen that one recently. <laughs> so. Well, and then that's also where they said Hayata was at the end of the last episode when they thought he was dead. So I did recognize it. Did you recognize the name of Morheim? Yes, actually. Okay, because I didn't, and I had to piece it okay. together. So that was okay. interesting. That's I. I almost just pulled like a legitimate like. Do you want to tell our listeners what it is? Uh, but yeah, that one. I, it's like I was listening. It's like, oh wait, I was technically reading. I was like, hey. <laughs> Yeah, so for people who aren't aware, um, Odd Morheim is a character in the Marvel comic series that's out now. Uh, We first meet her in the Ultra Q uh, side story where she's conversing with a mysterious figure. And then we see her again in the first first issue of Trials of Ultraman as the head of the uh, USP. So it's interesting to see if these connections will be connected. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we, I don't think we'll talk about our plans for the comic now, but we do, we have been in discussions about those, Yeah, but I have noticed that when, when something's in a comic and it's explicitly called out, somehow that helps my brain make those connections a little bit better. So what's interesting, because this is the second time I watched it, is you notice like all this stuff is telegraphed pretty well. Like the fact that the fake Anne Morheim won't take her sunglasses off until they mm-hmm. go to the underground. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, no eyes. It's, ah. mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a knives out level reveal that, well, if you paid attention, right. you should have known. Knives chow. But, I, I did have to laugh about more mind control after we've been. We talked about that last episode, and here it is, or last our last mm-hmm. episode, and here we've got mind control again. Yeah, but did you feel like this was like a Godzilla movie almost to a certain degree? Like Talay's done going through the city and all the explosions and minister. Like this yeah. feels like the first Godzilla movie Ultraman episode to me. Yeah, I agree. This one definitely, in a lot of the other ones, the destruction wasn't really the point. But in this one, we're getting a little bit closer to, oh, they're big monsters who are going to destroy the city if you've got something to do about it. But, uh, yeah, I kind of enjoyed it for once. Paint me like one of your French kaiju. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I just want the next uh, Trials of Ultraman variant cover to be be him like sitting out like this i would buy that we'll have to commission that yeah i would buy that five times (laughs) oh man all right this one this next one has one of my favorite ultra powers so my home is earth during the u.s soviet space race an astronaut from an undisclosed nation is abandoned in space and marooned on a planetoid mutated by the alien environment he manages to survive though the long years of isolation breed a sense of vengeance and hatred in him. Rebuilding his spaceship or spacecraft after many years, this monstrous being returns to Earth to exact his revenge. Unable to present or persuade Jamila to call off his attacks, Ultraman attacks the monster with the Ultra Water Stream, dealing it a mortal blow. 
this episode, I'm going to censor myself, is just, it should be called <laughs> Alan. Like, he knew the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a so jerk. Funny. Like, right off the bat, he's like, oh, the enemy not, might not be from Earth. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I think it's because he knows. And then they're like, oh, it is Jamal after all. And I was like, yeah, Alan knew. Damn Alan. Yeah. This is one of those you think in the in something like the Science Patrol, if you've got even a hunch at this point, I'm sure like 23 Kaiju later, people are like, if you've got an idea, we've you know, it could be just as bat poop crazy as you want. Mm-hmm. Just tell me. Yeah. <laughs> like can't be worse than what we've seen otherwise. This is one of the most emotionally disturbing episodes of Ultraman I've ever seen. I'll just be completely transparent. Um Especially in terms of real world events that have been going on around us. I mean, we're not marooned on a planet, but where it's been a long, over a year long period of isolation. So, yeah, yeah, I felt this one a little bit. See, and I didn't even think about it in that context. I was just thinking like, you know, obviously it's not right for him to be attacking humanity that way. But then we're like, you know, is this not the result of like abuse and untreated trauma? you know, that's brought him to this point. But more than that, it's the fact that I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, Jamla dies and it's like, oh man, like the way he just moans and cries. I'm like, as a dad, I'm like, it sounds like a child and it's breaking my heart. Mm -hmm. And then Matt Parmley from Kaiju Transmissions, he's like, oh, it's because it is a baby's cry. And I'm like, oh Lord, gosh, it's so disturbing. But I think that's the point, right? I mean, yeah, this is the first episode, I think, where we really see some good character development. Because let's be honest, Hayat is like the most cardboard character. And that's why we don't ever mm-hmm. really talk about him, um, which is fine. But, you know, we actually see some growth with Ide in this episode. You know, the way that like he refuses to fight him, how he wishes he never would have developed those weapons, right? And then mm-hmm. at the end, it's always like this for victims. Only the words are elegant. Yeah, that was being the, that the was tombstone. Yeah, uh, especially just in terms of thinking, like I just the terms of thinking who who the kaiju is in this episode, and this is the episode where we focus on what do we do about weapons? Like, why does it always like? They always have to come everything at once to hurt us. (laughs) Like, why can't we deal with, like, weapons in a different episode? A less harmful one. (laughs) Okay. Goodbye. Notes. All right. (laughs) What notes? All right. Episode 24, the Undersea Science Center. The Science Patrol attends the inauguration of the new Undersea Science Center. Disaster strikes when a deep-sea monster inadvertently cuts off the oxygen supply, causing a rupture to Marine Station 1. Rescue attempts are hindered by the monster's presence, but Professor Yamakawa comes up with a solution to rescue the trapped victims. Hayata and Arashi distract the monster in the S-25 submarine, while Fuji uses her scuba diving experience and her engineering prowess to rescue the trapped party. Things start to go wrong until Hayata uses the beta capsule and becomes Ultraman. Oh! (laughs) Jenny! Jenny! (laughs) 
I wish you I wish you could all see just the face he made in preparation to do that. <laughs> I may have to find oh, a way to just think. save the video. I'll post it somewhere. <laughs> oh gosh, that cracked me up. Uh this is man, Gubala. Gubala is like one of my favorite kaiju. There's there's no <laughs> no competition. He is definitely in like my top five. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I I really appreciated well first that after the first couple of kaiju this week had started getting a little samey. I appreciated this one. And it, they're only gonna get weirder after this episode. Yeah. But um yeah, I this I really like, especially after last episode, the way we talked about the kaiju from that one, and now this one, the synopsis gets a perfect the inadvertent part of it. Mm-hmm. It's really important. That's like, how do you, can you get mad at an animal for doing what animals do? Like yeah. when I dog sat last week and I, the dog was running in a circle and accidentally pulled off my phone from the desk. It was charging on. Well, he's just running. Wasn't being malicious. So I love that the show's kind of dealing with that. It, it seems like a lot of shows that I'm familiar with don't get into the philosophical questions mm-hmm. until like season two, but we're, we're here. This is really quick. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is interesting because I mean, we've talked about this with other monsters too. Is like, at what point are they actually like, do we need to be taking care of them, like in a mm-hmm. like killing them sense, right? And right. in this one, it's it's hard to say because I mean, who knows how long? Because clearly, Google hadn't done anything to this point, right? So, right. you kind of have to wonder like, how much of these mon like. How often are we making this a problem when it wouldn't have been otherwise? I'm not saying that like we need to stay on the land, but maybe we just need to stay on the land, you know? Sometimes, yeah. And it really gets you into an interesting conversation about like uh, the doctrine of dominion, as you might have heard, like when Ted Cruz was running for president. Like, what is our relationship with nature? Because... We've thought about our relationship with other humans and have decided we don't care. Yeah. Like you talk about the doctrine of discovery, but it, fundamentally, we don't even know what to do with nature, cutting down forests and all that, too. So, here preaching to the choir here. But uh, I will say this about nature, though. I thought it was hilarious that in a situation when, where time is of the essence, they use a ship called the tortoise. Gamer to save the day. Yep. All right. Episode 25. Um, yeah, this is where my real good American accent comes out. It's a Seafon. Thank you. The mysterious comet Seafon. Astronomers discover a rogue comet designated Seafon on a collision course with Earth. All nuclear weapons are stored to prevent exposure, but six go missing. The science patrols sorties to dis- recover the weapons. As the comet passes and the world rejoices, Gigas, a snow monster, appears in the Jap- Japan Alps. While engaging the monster from the air, a second monster, Duraco, emerges from the comet and attacks. Duraco's unable modern to take the- life. Duraco's modern life. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> that was a hoot. Um, 
unable to take him on separately. <laughs> Hayata, Ide, and Arashi manage to lure monsters to fight each other. As Ide tries to secure the missing bombs, they're swallowed by a third monster, Red King II, that bursts to the surface. Wish they would have named him Red King Jr. Or like yeah, I'm Red sure that Prince was like Red something. King 2, but Red King II makes him sound like an actual monarch. Ooh, it's Red King II. Yeah. Well, they could have called him Red King Yeah. The Moist Red King. Yeah, okay, but. anyway. <laughs> um, I'm kind of liking these episodes with more than one kaiju because yes. it's it's a little bit like, it's not quite the overstuffed. Like, sure, they may not all like have as much to say about each kaiju, but I'm enjoying seeing them all. Yeah, and they don't need to, right? I mean, at this point, we're not... We're watching these shows because they're enjoyable, you know, and I don't mm-hmm. need to have an entire episode dedicated to why these monsters exist. Clearly, it's established these monsters are in a world. So like are in the world, excuse me. So just let them fight, you know. Mm-hmm. I do find it interesting having now watched the original series in its half and Z is that it's Red King is the one that Z really focuses on the moral dilemma, right? Because. Mm-hmm. If I would have chosen like the arch ultra villain, it I I would say it's Red King right now. Yeah. So it's interesting that Z turns it around that now now Red King's the subject of the most like introspection. Yeah. Which obviously you've got a lot of time between this and there to Oh, certainly to have things yeah. change. But did you uh it's not intentional necessarily, but I felt like Duraco is like a, a proto-Gigan. Hmm. Like there's some similarities there, like the the wings and kind of like the 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 way that the not like blades necessarily in the hands. There's just the whole body shape reminding me of Gigan. I couldn't really find anything substantial to indicate that would have influenced it, but I found a lot of people coming to that same conclusion, which was interesting. I wonder if it's just people in the same kind of world, same kind of culture and time period yeah. might just have the same inspirations, yeah. make, come, make them come up with the same stuff. Yeah, because this was like six years before that movie came out, I think, is right about it. Um, and who knows how long in advance some of them are designed. Yeah. So. yeah, so yeah, I'm right with you. It was, it was a fun episode. I mean, it was absolutely, if you think about it, like I would be terrified if I saw a comic come that close to me. Right. Like, I don't think <laughs> yeah, I don't even know period. if that's possible. Like, I don't know science, but like, right. yeah, the the whole like them being in the bunkers. I mean, I, I, I get it. I, I would be scared, too. I mean, yeah, I don't need a kaiju to come out of this comet to poop my pants if a giant rock from space crashes near me. OK, I do have to comment on the fact that Red King was absolutely demolished in this episode. Well, let's save that discussion until our special bit later. <laughs> oh, yeah. You always guess at least one of mine. Oh, I think I've already guessed another one, too. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, several, actually, to be honest. I I think we should make that a game where, like... Where, where we yell. <laughs> okay. Let, next, next episode, I'm going to do that. I'm going to okay. be my own, and which ones I think you are. What is that? The Newlyweds game or something like that? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. I just, I only know that because of Parks and Rec. 
the, the ultra neutral wet milk stain. hotel. Yeah. <laughs> I miss oh, that show good. so much. Man, we've worked in like community, Arrested Development, Homestar, and Parks and Rec already. Let's just call it. I quits. know. And we've and we've still got half of the episodes to go. Oh man. All right. Episode 26, The Monster Highness, Part 1. Professor Nakaya is on the trail of the Gomorasaurus, otherwise known as Gomera. He intends to capture and display the creature at the upcoming World Exposition. He is assisted by Muramatsu and Arashi of the Science Patrol, who use a newly developed anesthesia to bring down the monster for transport. During the last leg of the transport, however, the monster stirs awake and threatens to bring down all three jet VTOLs. With no other option, Muramatsu orders the monster dropped over the Roko Mountains. Gomera is challenged by Ultraman, who loses the Beta Capsule. During this commotion, Gomera manages to escape from Ultraman. You know, I think I've seen this episode... Um, but instead of a giant lizard, it was a giant monkey. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Mighty Joe Young. Yeah, that's it. Congo. Brendan Fraser. What was that one? Congo. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've guessed them both already. Um, what was the one about the monkey? Oh, what? 12 monkeys? 13 monkeys? I don't know. The virus one? No, the one about, like, time travel or whatever. <laughs> Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, but so first of all, I no, I'll 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 talk about it on the next part too. I love this episode. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I I I give it a little grief for sounding like Kong, but at the same point, it's fine. Oh yeah, it's it's just so funny to me that the kids are like, "What are you stupid? Nobody believes <laughs> monsters exist these days." It's like. Wait, mm-hmm. like the kid literally has vinyls of monsters on his desk of monsters that have yeah. appeared in this show. So my thought was like, maybe not monsters, but monsters. Yeah, those don't <laughs> exist. <laughs> I know it's like, um, it's like in Avengers when you can buy like after it was I think it was Iron Man three when they're buying Avengers toys, and you still have like the skeptics. It's like, yeah. what are you? Why have you been missing? All right, flat earther. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and we lost half oh, of our my. listening base. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I didn't know there'd be politics in this show. Canceled. Um, I don't. So it's it's weird. So the scientist is like, you know, hey, the Gomer source was a real thing, but like, were they always this big? And like, why didn't they just leave it alone? No, that isn't that the question of the century? <laughs> Why didn't they just leave it alone? Well, and especially you want to talk about like poor kaiju who might have just been minding their own business. It it is a little rough when they like try to they try and like keep it down with anesthesia, and then it's like, well, I'm too big for that. Yeah. So. Well, that and they were gonna stuff them. Like, how much was yeah, that gonna cost? Frick. So that you have to oh pay gosh, for yeah. transport all the anesthesia, you're going to have to kill him and then you're going to stuff him. Yeah, there's the only constants in life are death and taxidermies. But I can only imagine how much that one would cost. 
And like, what pose do you put it in, you know? Did you have that in your notes? <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> just just so remembered the word, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those of you who can't see me, I had to put my face out of the screen because I was just so impressed by that joke. <laughs> that's what I know I've done it right. All right. All righty. All right. So we are now on part two of the same oop, episode. Oop, oh. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so part two of the same episode. Oop, Asamu. Oop. A... <laughs> can't even. Can't go. I, I'm just kidding. Asamu, a boy who witnessed the battle between Ultraman and Gamora, decides the beta capsule, not, <laughs> not the Guardian of the Galaxy. Um, Besides the beta capsule he found on the battlefield should be turned over to the science patrol. The monster rises in the center of Osaka. During the melee, the science patrol attaches the tracer and separates Gamora from his powerful tail, driving him back underground. The guardian of the galaxy finally reemerges and destroys Osaka castle. All seems lost until Osamu finds Hayata and returns the beta capsule to him. Hayata transforms into Ultraman and 2014 lover of Star-Lord is finally defeated. So Ultraman and uh, uh, Gamora have a uh, a dance-off? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this episode is a lot weirder than I remember. Okay, we I need to actually hit the timer before we get started here. <laughs> <laughs> that was practice run. <laughs> okay. So Gomora, not Gamora. Oh, hmm. Marvel is ruining the world. Who are you talking about? You you said that was such a tone that you were trying to correct someone. No, I'm leaving all that in. They're going to know. <laughs> so I'm noticing, well, I'm, I say I'm noticing, they freaking capture him on Johnson Island. Mm. Like, I mean, you're going to come up with a name. <laughs> it's Johnson I'd... Island. Where is that? No, t- to be fair, I'm sure we have names like that in America. Oh, absolutely. I just, it, just for some reason, I just found myself laughing at Johnson Island, and I'm searching the right island, now. Son of John. Oh, oh my gosh! There, well, there's a Johnston Island. There's a Johnston Atoll. It is. Oh, I guess it's out towards Hawaii. Okay, yeah. So anyway, wait. So is the Atoll the ground version of the Vtoll? <laughs> <sighs> The three limit time limits not for you. It's to keep me contained. That is anyway. That is the what truth. were those thoughts that you were going to share on uh, this one? Arashi is a sick son of a gun. He's like, I need a job. Okay, send out the evacuate evacuation order, and he just gets like super excited. You got it. Like, <laughs> what? It's yeah. Yeah, it's like I I get your excitement. I like the enthusiasm. This is a crisis situation. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a fun it's a good way to conclude the set. So I'm not usually a huge fan of two part episodes, but this one was really good. I I think again this gets back to that idea of like if they just wouldn't have woken Gomera up, this mm-hmm. none of this would have happened. Like mm-hmm. literally, this could have all been avoided. And no, it's we need to find this dinosaur because we all know how well that goes, John Hammond. Hmm. I agree. The I it is just such a funny it's a funny episode in terms of like I was curious why there was a two parter at all. 
Um, wondered if there's like a special event or something. But then I kind of was like, I like this idea that all of the hubris of the scientists who want to taxidermy him are kind of undone by the kid who decides to be like, oh, here's the beta capsule back. Which, first of all, how did he even lose the beta capsule? I'm, I've, I've asked people that. I'm like, it's not like Hayata <laughs> lost the beta capsule. Freaking Ultraman lost the beta yeah, capsule. Yeah, and it's never like he's fighting and it's in his hand. It's, yeah, that's I would what I'm just saying. think it gets absorbed or something. Yeah. But maybe he had an ultra fart. He trusted an ultra fart and lost it on the yeah, way. Never trust an ultra fart. <laughs> <laughs> Is that her new episode title? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> maybe. Uh, I do have to really quickly say it was hilarious when Hayata's rushing to become Ultraman and he realizes he doesn't have the beta capsule, but he was rushing to fight a tail. Yeah. <laughs> That's very fair. All right. I, I I am impressed that we don't typically have something to say after the explosion goes off. Sometimes you just yeah. kind of have to. We give ourselves, you know, a little bit of... We're giving ourselves a little space. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Okay, so episode 28, Human Specimens 5 and 6. While investigating a series of mysterious bus crashes along the Hayuga Pass, uh, Hayuga... Muramatsu and Ide encounter a strange spatial phenomenon. Even though the bus plunges off a cliff, all the passengers are accounted for and escape serious injury. At the hospital, a member of the Cosmic Rays Research Institute warns authorities about an alien who has infiltrated the institute before he is dematerialized before their eyes. The alien is hard to isolate because it is capable of changing its face as it materializes from place to place. Ultraman scares Dada, with the spacium beam before using the weapon to also destroy the creature. Who's your data? See, I finally <laughs> get to say I'm along the same lines, the joke I've made on Twitter so many times. I like it when you call me big dada. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, I, it's yeah. Cause it's always with the picture dada. of him posing in that that scene and he's kind of laying all like seductively kind of what we're uh-huh. talking about. And it's just, yeah. Dada's awesome. He's one of, one of my favorite, one of my favorite Saijin for sure. So, which yeah. if you don't know, that's a sentient alien or aliens from a planet name like Baltan. Did we do research for this episode? No, I just, I figured Holy if I cow. said Saijin, some people are Seijin. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, mm. Either you or mm. someone else might be like, what's that? <laughs> what's that yeah um but gosh this one got funny especially um i i love how early it's playing with stuff like dimensions and mm-hmm. uh like the all the passengers are accounted for an escape without serious injury because it's like some space nonsense too there's not just giant kaiju there's space nonsense yeah <laughs> da, da. Sorry, I had to. I had to do that. Yeah, clear your throat a little. Yeah, <laughs> da, da. It's a, uh, yeah. This episode is just so strange. Like, there's so many different threads to it, and I feel like ninety percent of them work, except for the fact that like, what is with the bus disappearances? Like, they set it up to be such a big thing, and then it just gets dropped. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, true. I, I, they they seem to hint at the fact that like the the dot I would be involved somehow but it doesn't go anywhere and I asked people before I put that I'm like okay I'm not missing anything am I they're like no I mean it's just it, it it's a plot 
vehicle to get them to that point. Literally. Pun you intended. Know? Yeah. And, uh, but it's, it's so interesting. Like the way that they play on like the whole, like the woman wearing a black coat and sunglasses, they want you to think she's up to no good. Cause she's sneaking around. Like, no, she's actually mm-hmm. like, she's not evil. Right. But they want you to think yeah. that. Although when you notice that she, the inside of her coat, it's striped black and white, like the Dada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, that's I what just we call an Easter this. egg. An Easter, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did notice that the bus thing kind of, they could have almost, next episode could have been about that, and they could have said it's completely separate from Dada, and I would have been like, sure, mm-hmm. you're right. But it was ambitious. It felt like a long 20-some minutes. Did, not in a boring way, Yeah. but it felt like there's a lot going on. I felt it was long. It was hefty. Really used every minute. It's hefty, hefty, hefty. Oh my goodness. Somebody just shut me up. Once told you. Oh, that was, that's good. Great. That's good. It's my turn, right? No, no it's your this turn. is an odd one. Yeah. 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 Challenge to the underground. A subterranean monster at the Odayama gold mines has laid the town of Miro to waste. Captain Muramatsu orders the airlift of the Velucidar a new drill boring tank capable of tunneling underground. This was Musk before Musk was open. The captain and Ide will use the tank to confront the monster below the surface, while Hayata, Arashi, and Fuji can attack the monster above ground. The science patroller are attacked by Goldon. They manage to drive it to the surface, where it is damaged by the Velucidar's laser gun and science patrol weapons fire. Ultraman finally vanquishes the second Goldon with his spatium beam. Ugh, this episode. Can I just say I don't like it? Yeah. You can't all be winners. No, and I'm not trying to be negative. It's just such a boring episode to me. Like this It was very just kind of not not necessarily just run of the mill in a certain way. Like this is just what I would have expected them to be. Just kind of Plot device, monster fight. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, I know it's a world where monsters are established and plausible, but like a monster who eats all the gold in a mountain and now he becomes gold. Like to me, I just, I couldn't suspend my disbelief for that, especially then there's a second gold on and I'm like, okay. Like, I just, I don't know. There wasn't a lot here to, I think my favorite part was, uh, so, you know, with all these Ultraman episodes, you have these Toho veterans that show up. So you see Sinki, uh, uh, Sinkichi Omura. Uh, so he was a miner who's obsessed with the gold, right? So, like, he's in a bunch of movies like Throne of Blood, Mothra vs. Godzilla, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. He's an Ultra Q. But the role that most people know him from is in King Kong vs. Godzilla, the 1960s one. Uh, he's the interpreter for the Faroe Island natives. So like, mm-hmm. he's just, he always plays kind of like this. Well, not always, but he plays this slapstick kind of funny character. But in this one, he's like absolutely like disturbed and, but mm-hmm. I always like seeing him. So I'm not going to complain about that, but yeah. Do we get the person who complains about their corns in Ultraman? You know, because... I don't want to spoil that for you. Oh, thank God. That's going to be our best episode. 
because I don't know. Oh, funny. <laughs> I think I think the thing about this one is like the there's a it's weird how suspension of disbelief works, isn't it? Because when you tell me that data came in came from space or something, or this one came out of a comet, I'm like, yeah, why not? But then this one who like eats too much gold and is transformed into a gold, I was like, why? <laughs> like, why is this the why is this the one that like doesn't sit well? And maybe maybe it's just because the whole episode wasn't doing a lot for me, yeah. so I was getting a little more like critical in general. I think that's it, to be honest. I mean, there's just there wasn't a lot here. Um, I will say the best part is like I love Muramatsu. He's such a good captain. Like you know, Ide wants to blame himself, but like he won't let him wallow in his guilt. So that's like, mm -hmm. if we had to like define, like our choose the best character of this whole show, I'd choose Muramatsu. He's like one of the best captains of all time. And here we go. The last episode ever. Episode 30, Phantom of the Snow Mountains. Yuki, a teenage orphan, is vilified by the locals as Yukinko, being snow girl. She vexes hunters by setting free the animals caught in their traps and believes her late mother was a, was a snow woman, a mythical figure in tune with nature. One of the hunters is nearly scared to death by a giant hairy monster that comes to the girl's rescue. Frightened by the arrival of the science patrol, uh, Yukinko's guardian, the monster called Wu, comes down from the mountain. While Ultraman faces Wu, the villagers go after the girl, chasing her into the mountains. With her dying breath, she calls out to the creature, which slowly fades away as if it never existed. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> Woo. Woo. Yeah, Woo was my favorite character of WandaVision when we saw that his magic tricks that he learned from Ant-Man. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That was good. Yeah. This is a good this is a good follow-up to the last one. Oh yeah. It's a good one to come back to. Yeah. Cause I love these I love these ones that kind of suggest the connections between the humans and the kaiju um in a positive light. Mm -hmm. It didn't it wasn't positive for her or experience, but it doesn't always have to be antagonistic. No, not at all. Yeah, it's it's a very heartfelt episode, right? I mean mm -hmm. You have the the guy who owns the ski resort, I think, is his job title. I don't know. I haven't looked at his LinkedIn profile in a while. But, you know, it's <laughs> it. you almost are sympathetic for him because he's losing business. But then how callous he is about it and the way that, like, he recognized this girl is getting bullied, but he doesn't want to do anything. Like, there's just enough here to remind us that humans are very complex, right? It's not... Mm -hmm. good guys and bad guys. Like I've actually tried to do that with my son is remind him like there aren't necessarily good guys and bad guys. We're all complex people who make good and bad decisions. Right. And that's what I see here is, mm -hmm. you know, it's a girl that's getting bullied and it's, it's so, it's so sad to think that like these boys end up killing that drunk. Right. And mm -hmm. in a way, I'm glad we didn't see that because that would have just been extra for the episode. But like if this was a movie, we would have seen the ramifications for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of all the ones to like have a two parter for this one definitely could have sustained that as well. I think so, too. 
Yeah, and I think we're seeing a lot of that lately, especially like just even just picking on business owners in general. Like in terms of the pandemic, I've noticed a lot of people are on edge. A lot of people who generally are pretty kind and like pretty secure or every time the governor speaks about more lockdowns or staying close to it a little bit longer, there's a different side to them. Absolutely. And it's, you don't want to like vilify them. You, there is a spot where you step in there and say like, this pandemic sucks and it does hurt you as a business. And like this kind of what you're saying is in situations like this, we do see like people are more like prisms Mm -hmm. or when you hold light up to them, you do reflect a lot of different parts. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I just, that's what I love about Ultraman, right? Is it really makes us grapple with reality, even though it's a fantasy show. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> Woo. All right. So that puts us, that puts us at our 10 episodes. So I'm thinking we should move into some awards. Possibly. Yeah. Woo. We've already hinted at a few of these. Uh, <laughs> so starting with the most beautiful kaiju, I will say this. The choices, eight, most of the options I was didn't care much for. I was like, if this is what we get, oh, it's going to be an easy decision. But I, were you thinking I was going to choose Data? No, I thought, you're, my, I thought you were going to choose Gygas. Oh, I'm actually choosing Jamala. Okay. I love, because it's just like the... Looks like when you used to pull the shirt over your head and walk around, like <laughs> used to, used to. <laughs> well, now now that I paid for my own shirts, I'm not going to stretch the collar like that anymore. Yeah, I was more of pulling my sweatpants up to my shoulders kind of guy. <laughs> was yeah. Well, that's yeah. I think it's been a couple months, but see, I thought you were going to do guy gas because you love the uh, guy gas in a sweater. From the trials of Ultraman, so that's just <laughs> yeah, I, I did love that Dapper Guy guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think in there they call him Gaga, but yeah, I actually yeah. put that in my notes. Like I thought that's what you were gonna choose. So I did that. That I because the day that trials came out, I texted you about that. Yeah. One. I was like, this is so, this is so freaking funny. <laughs> I don't even get it. <laughs> but uh. yeah, so. Which, how, where'd you, oh, although that episode, that one did, um, I did love the scaly techno look, but anyway, of Duraco, mm-hmm. I think. But who'd you choose? Kubla. Okay. Yeah, I played by hand. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, there's, there's no question for me on that one. So, um, Monster Graveyard Award. This one was tough. I'm I'm gonna choose not because it was necessarily like if I had to choose like the best death in itself, like aesthetically, I would go with Red King getting sliced into pieces. But I went with Jamla just because of how impactful it was. There's just it will forever haunt me. I know, and I almost wanted to pick that just because the ultra water stream is so funny. But then, like the context of the episode, so I did. I did go with Red King the second. Yeah. So yeah, the the how how the heck did he get away with that award? I'm going with. I'm looking at the episode, the Undersea Science Center. Um, because I thought that was kind of a fun change of pace. Yeah. 
there was an episode I thought you were going to do, and I have all of my notes on the floor. Uh, I thought you were actually going to do um, the last episode where he's lying in bed and he just holds his hand up and transforms. <laughs> I, you know, that one is that one is very relatable. <laughs> but I'm ultra tired. I'm ultra tired. Yeah. If he's listen, if he said that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I went with him transforming in the science patrol control room. Like, it's mm. just, if you think about it, like, obviously, he kind of zaps himself out. But it's just like, if this would have happened in the 21st century, there would have been so many cameras. Like, it was such oh, a bold thing yeah. to do. The people there, period. Yeah. Yeah, I always have to laugh when um, someone grows inside. I'm like, what? What was the plan? You, don't, you understand the roofs exist, right? Like, what is your thought here? Yeah. Clearly, you did not plan this out very well. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, aim for its butthole award. <laughs> I went for a monster might show up smelling rice balls. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, this one was tough for me because um, some of the episodes I had trouble uh like writing them all down because the only ones that I found that it really struck me, I'm like, I can't really make light of these. Oh, like the um, the suicide one. The suicide comment, yeah. 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 But um the rice balls comment cracked me up because I did have to think about dubbed Pokemon when their rice balls are turned into jelly donuts that are still like textured like rice, but they have like grape filling in the center. Huh. Um, it's been a while. Like that one just that one brought me back to being a kid. It's like when Brock is like pulling out jelly donuts oh, in the middle yeah. of walking. Yeah. 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 And they've clearly got the seaweed wrap on the outside, but they're still donuts. <laughs> it's disgusting. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, this one, I think for the favorite episode, I would. Oh, be did you choose the same one not- then? Oh, I, I'm just going to honestly say that this one was tougher for me. Okay. I don't have a clear victor here. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So um, you're just stealing my work. Uh, I'm going to steal yours a little bit, okay. but um, uh, the, the suicide comment, like, I don't want to make light of it. It did stick with me for a long time because it was a big reminder of, like, even modern Japan, like, with the Logan Paul or Jake Paul or whoever the heck, you know, mm-hmm. like, just, like, the whole remembering we're in a different culture and the way that, like, yeah, so I know we want to make it funny, but I couldn't I couldn't quite leave that one. Yeah. So no, it's it's just such a strange episode. I mean line that I'm sure there's some mm-hmm. context that I'm missing, but I'm just like I have no yeah. idea what it is. And that's okay. I think sometimes it's nice to be reminded that we're kind of uh spectators of a different culture's mm-hmm. show. There's a lot that isn't made for us. If if we want Ultraman made for us, we've got the trials of Ultraman. So it's 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 a nice stretching little piece of piece of work there. Yep. So, but for favorite episode, I'm wondering if we're both not going to pick my home is Earth. I'm not. Oh, okay. What are you doing? Uh, human specimens. I know now we're all. Okay. It's just such a fun episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best episode, but I think we made that distinction. What I think is best isn't always my favorite. Yeah, because I think I I think I pulled that card last week with the stuff in the fourth dimension. The fourth dimension. Mm-hmm. So, 
But yeah, I guess we're kind of looking for um, a theological theological thought, right? And it was it was a little tougher. That's my baited breath. Um, <laughs> there, there is just I mean, there is something about um, our our holy data who lives from who lives above, who traveled to Earth and um, saves us, just like the bus that fell off the cliff was saved unharmed. Anyone who puts their trust in the holy data will be safe from harm. <laughs> but I, I was also kind of thinking about uh, one of our favorites when uh, the submarine, like when Ultraman has to deal with undersea creatures, just like, you know, the Hebrew Bible tells us about Yahweh's defeat of the sea creatures, that they are the chaos that stands against humanity. It is Ultraman who descends into the depths of the sea to rid the sea of the sea monsters and allows humans to live in prosperity and progress. And it's only through the defeat of the sea monster that it is the way that we can move forward. And then at the end of Job, we're reminded that God puts his hooks in any of the sea monsters. <laughs> um, he pulled a Job out. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have to get that. We've done this for so long that I have to get like so obscure with this stuff now. Oh, but yeah. I do it for I do it for you. Because oh, man. <laughs> I hopefully I didn't cut you off. I, I mean, if you've got more, no. my, no, my soul, my soul is of... hungry for your, for your wisdom. <laughs> my, my theological insights are the jelly donuts. They they they're tasty, but like don't don't look for much nutrition out of them. No. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, that's so that was a good run. Yeah, so next episode of ours, we are going through episodes 31 through 39. Who goes there unto Farewell Ultraman? <gasps> what? I wonder what that could mean. You might have to tune in to find out, huh? Yeah. Maybe he uh, finally got an Uber to show up. <laughs> I don't know. I'm tired. <laughs> Uber Orb. Like, there's Uber X, Uber Black, and Uber Orb. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you are enjoying our show, we humbly ask that you chant our name over at iTunes and leave a five-star review. I think I had Apple Podcasts before, and for some reason, saying Apple Podcasts felt weird, so I'm just going to say iTunes from now on. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. Also, make sure to subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Okay, we're going to have an on-air deliberation here. I think most people okay. realize that if you enjoy a show, you should leave a review and that if you enjoy a show, you should subscribe, right? You think. Yeah. Okay, so I'm mm -hmm. just going to nix that from now on. I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm telling people things that they already know. Mm, but do they do it? No, I don't know. It doesn't matter, right? I think we talked about okay. that. Is right. that's, that's part of this whole social media thing, right? Is we're trying to get away from, you know, analyzing and figuring out, well, if this gets so many likes or retweets, that that doesn't define quality whatsoever. So true. You do you. But if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can send us an email at atrociouspod at protonmail.com or head over to atrociousprod, atrociouspod.com, where you'll find our contact form for listener feedback and even prayer requests. Until next time.
so do we want to talk about Cluckenbuck at all? We can. It might be might be a little too negative for Let's do it. I I so you are one of the few people I've seen that was negative on this last episode, which when I say Cluck and Buck, I'm talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier. So Yeah, I just I watched it and um I I I'll watch anything MCU. I've missed a few shows here or there. Like I didn't catch Inhumans. I didn't have Nobody the ability did. to watch. That's why it got canceled. Well, yeah, granted. <laughs> um, I I mean I saw most of the agents. I've seen most of the Netflix stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I may be behind on one or two of season twos of Netflix. Um, didn't have the chance to watch Cloak and Dagger, but um, yeah, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's it's not the MCU that I like. Mm-hmm. Like it's a little too like just generic spy stuff. It's some of the real world implications of like it, when you make the villains, people who criticize borders and established countries in the year of our Lord, 2021, yeah. when we're all reckoning with what it means to be an American, you, it's hard. It, if, if the answer is you, you just beat them to death, then I'm like, I, you didn't deal with the question sufficiently for me. Yeah. Um, and I would even be curious what, the show's going to move forward. Like does the black community, especially Isaiah need a captain America mm-hmm. as what is, what does the symbol mean for them yeah. in this case? Yeah. I, so, and I, I know that's that. what the show, I, I know that's what the show's presumably going to go after, but um, it just hasn't really like set itself up well to say like, we're going to deal with these deep issues in a non Marvel way. Mm-hmm. And even with WandaVision, I knew the finale was going to be, flashy fight flashy marvel fight and it was but the whole show like dealt with it in a different way but yeah the scene where they're in the warehouse before they confront the flag smashers and it's like 10 minutes of just witty banter yeah i was like please play say one sentence of substance i like the therapy session though yeah in the therapy session if they had it's just when the whole episode is oh, their know. whole interaction is banter. And I'm like, just this that was their first conversation. It was so late in the episode. Yeah. Um No, it's so I think that's a valid criticism though. Like, because so there's a author that I follow on Substack, uh, Freddie DeBauer, and he actually wrote recently an article called The Humor in the Marvel Movies Makes Me Want to Shoot Myself Directly in the Face. <laughs> well, and he's like, you know, I acknowledge that this is not an original complaint, but like, you know, he doesn't necessarily hate the movies, but like there is a certain point where it's like, okay, this is now MCU humor, humor, right? Mm-hmm. And it does get exhausting after a while. And it's it's the reason why and he brings up a good point. You know, you can't have a Marvel movie without the relentless jokes for the same reason we didn't see Edgar Wright's Ant-Man or Patty Jenkins Thor because they would be different and different is a risk. Like WandaVision was different until the end. And that's where I'm like, ugh. like you had the opportunity to really do something different. It just turned into like an MCU select fest, which is fine. That's which what is, people want. It, but at least it was enough episodes until it got to that. No, I know. But this show just already feels like, to be honest, I thought the first episode of uh, Cluck and Buck was like, okay, like I could see this going a I different had- route. And I did too. And, and, and I know it's really 
early to judge. But this is the reason why I was like, I don't even, excuse me. Uh, I mean, I, I know it's early to judge, but this was the reason why I wasn't even sure I wanted to watch it. Cause I'm like, if it just ends up being a stereotypical MCU show, I'm going to be like, I, I'm not waking up early to watch it. I'm kind of one of those things where like, I may watch it Saturday or Sunday. You know, I'm not watching it immediately. It's, it's fine for what it is, but I, I think I'm right there with you. I'm not confident they're going to handle, like, the, the MC has been political before, but, like, this feels so explicitly political that I... And it's not, like, the politics that it's handled before. No. have been very, like, like, the Wainer Soldier definitely had a lot of politics. Like, surveillance states are bad, but... Because they're filled with Nazis. Not I, I don't know. It's just never really a deep. But no one argues that surveillance states are good though. That's such <laughs> yeah. A, 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 yeah, against whom are you arguing? Yeah, I mean, there's a very small portion of people who are in power who might argue that. But like most people are like, okay, no, like that's normal. But now we're getting into this thing where it's like, well, they would rather, you know, we're having people who are like, you know, we weren't taking so like they want the world to go back to the way it was during the blip. Because not only they felt like it was better, but now these people come back and they're getting care that they didn't before. Like, that's so explicitly contemporary. Like, I don't even have to, mm-hmm. like, parse that out for anybody where someone would be like, oh, I could see, like, real world examples of that. Or the fact that, you know, when you're talking about the borders and all these different things, I'm like, I, I on the one hand, I applaud them for trying to tackle some very serious issues. But again, I just as bad as it sounds, I don't go to a Marvel movie to get that, nor do I really trust Marvel and Disney to handle these well. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. Because when it comes down to it, if um, if the whole conceit of the show is, well, you as the viewer really want Captain America to come back, I'm always like, I don't... Maybe I like Steve Rogers. Maybe I like Chris Evans, but... I'm not personally invested in the idea of a Captain America existing. Yeah. So, and especially when the show doesn't really explain what people think, like there's the joke about cap being on the moon, Mm -hmm. but there's like, why do we need a cap? Like, yeah. What about the post blip world? Yeah. And, and that's my question is who is asking for it? Cause the flag smashers weren't. Mm -mm. And I, the army, I guess, cause those posters that cap is back were sponsored by the army. But I'm wondering if average Joe was like, we need a cap again. It's hard to imagine that. Because there's something about cap in the 40s during World War II where there's so much capaganda going around that <laughs> I understand why, you, why you'd think you'd need him there. Yeah. But in like a people our age talking about like the war on terror. And if we got some cringy superhero like being the face of like buy into the war on terror, we'd be like, no. Exactly. So I wish I wish it would spend a little less. It's not just the time about like who deserves the shield, even though we know who's going to get it. It's a little bit like who's going to get the shield and why does someone need the shield? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like they're focusing on the things that like I and it's me personal. I don't care about I, I care about Bucky and the trauma he's going through and trying to live with the fact that like he's free from his mind control and he's having to deal with the ramifications of not even the life he chose to live, but the life he lived all the same, right? Mm -hmm. I care about that. 
I care about the fact that Sam is wrestling with the fact that his best friend is now gone and now he's in a world that moved on without him and he's trying to mm-hmm. adjust and you have people who will gladly recognize him and try to get clout but they won't actually do anything to help him right things like mm-hmm. that I'm like those are good topics I would like to see that discussed but yeah this whole flag smashers thing the power broker the fact that it like it seems like Sam and Bucky are inevitably going to release Zemo into the world I'm just like it just feels so uh, Mm-hmm. but we'll see we'll see it can certainly pick up but yeah. I'm glad the, the original plan was for this to lead out the slate of MCU shows on Disney Plus mm-hmm. and I'm sorely happy that that was not the case oh yeah I'm glad we got WandaVision first so and I don't know I, I do I do genu- I do genuinely like see people on Twitter who love it mm-hmm. I know especially a lot of black viewers are seeing a lot of this stuff in a big budget, high profile mainstream show for the first time. And that's amazing. So there's still a lot of good that it's doing. It's just like, I feel like every time it leans into its MCU-ness, I'm like, please lean back. Yeah. Lean out of that. Don't, don't, don't use that as a crutch. Yeah. And there are people who just like the MCU because it's the MCU. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason a lot of it functions the way it does. And there's a reason that like test groups keep saying, make them the same. Yeah. So I, this is just a case of there's not a lot of it landing and putting it between WandaVision and Loki doesn't help. Yeah. And you're allowed to critique it, you know, just because it means something to someone. We're not sitting here saying it's trash, but we're also being like, hey, it's not working for me. We're concerned about how a giant corporation is going to handle very complex and delicate issues that it seems to have just kind of thrown out there, you know? So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I will say, though, before we close, when are you going to watch Godzilla vs. Kong? Mm, the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Well, on that subject of King Kong versus Godzilla, I would... I'm I'm torn. I'm sure like a lot of people are. I I have very basic opinions. Is this would be a fine one to watch in the theaters. And in fact, I know some theaters you can rent out like an entire screen for like 130 bucks mm-hmm. and bring up to 20 people. So you can figure out how many people you feel safe with and you know split the cost between those. But I mean like, it's on HBO each... Max though. Like well, but I understand that, but it's a if movie you really that you want to see, see it on this. I know. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't feel like I'm the person. I think the only movie that I'd said really need to see in theaters is a Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But this one I do. It is a movie that like this is my first time being like cognizant of what's going on that I can see it in the theaters. And it's like I really shouldn't, honestly. Yeah. Um, but. So I don't know. It I'll probably end up streaming it. I watched the Snyder Cut last Friday, and I was kind of bored to tears. It was a little hard to watch at times because I was at my house with all my things, mm-hmm. and it was four hours long. It was a fine movie. It's fine. It was horribly average, honestly. Tweet me. Um, <laughs> but it's so hard to watch new movies at home because I'm just so torn in so many different ways. Yeah. But 
Well, have you at yeah. least watched Kong Skull Island or King of the Monsters yet? The look well, on his you face. Know, I got some things I need to watch before I watch so, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla. What I've seen is that for people who haven't, you'll still be fine. But, and this isn't me because I think Kong Skull Island's a better movie. But I would say from what I'm hearing, it's probably more important that you would watch Kong Skull Island first just to kind of get, let's Kong's more of a character in these movies than Godzilla. It's like Godzilla has a personality, which is fine. Like it's, that's valid. Mm -hmm. But what I've heard is this is more of a Kong movie. If that makes sense. Not like, well, that's why his name is first. In the, yeah. That's, that's a good point. Right. Title. Yeah. Uh, Kong verse <laughs> Kong versus Godzilla, uh, 2021. But uh, it'll be interesting to kind of recap that. Yeah, and Kong Skull Island was before Brie Larson ruined Star Wars. So <laughs> how how did that even like how? Yeah. Uh, I'm so glad I'm off Twitter. I don't have to see dumb takes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Only mine. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna hit end here.